Hi, I'm Charlie Todd from New York City. I'm Cody from Sacramento. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like me. If you'd like to support the show like I did, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Julie Klausner, is uh, a comedy writer who's written for uh, television programs uh, up to and including your Saturday Night Live and your uh, Best Week Ever, among others. Um, She's also the author of a new memoir of her dating life called I Don't Care About Your Band, What I Learned from Indie Rockers, Trust Funders, Pornographers, Felons, Faux-Sensitive Hipsters, and other guys I've dated. Uh, Julie, uh, welcome welcome to the Sound of Young America. Thank it's you great for having you me. Thanks. It's great to be here. It seems like the central premise of your book, to the extent that it has a central premise, is the idea that... Women be crazy. <laughs> I think that's the central premise of Martin Lawrence's stand-up comedy special, Run, Tell Dad. <laughs> um, no, it's... Thank you. It's that there's... You're welcome. Um, it's that, uh, there is another kind of, uh, disastrous dating dude besides the guy who might appear on the, um, the pickup artist, the pickup artist or, uh, uh, MTV's Jersey Shore or whatever. The like douche in nice guy clothing, I guess is sort of the thing it's, you know. The, the the guy that seems like, oh, he's really sensitive or he's just intimidated by me and then and then that you realize that you're you're flattering yourself or you're flattering him and then he's just really not a nice person. Why has this become uh, such a phenomenon? At least it, it, why why do you think it, it became such a phenomenon in, in your life? Why was I sort of constantly seeking out these sort of <laughs> yeah. feckless uh... where were these people coming from and where were you finding them? Um, they were coming from everywhere around the time and I was finding them around, you know, I, I live in Manhattan and I kind of live and work out of Manhattan and it, it sort of just seemed like a proliferation of, you know, men I, I seemed to think were attractive and maybe it was just growing up with, you know, with John Cusack holding a boombox over his head to think that, oh, you, you know, this is going to be the guy that's really going to get me or I'll write a song about me. And then it, it, it turned out to be, no, no, it, it's not really the case. In fact, they, they, they want very little to do with me. <laughs> like in the beginning of the book, I talk about how I grew up with Miss Piggy and Kermit. And I kind of learned to identify that as the standard model of romantic, uh, of, of romantic sort of methodology, which is like, oh, yeah, you eat bonbons and wear feather boas and pink eye makeup. And then you chase around this skinny frog that would rather <laughs> ride a bike or play his banjo than ever want anything to do with you. <laughs> And that was just sort of something that I emulated like time and time again in my 20s. So that's basically what the book's about. When you started to recognize uh, the pattern of these gentlemen Mm -hmm. that you were dating, that there was this other kind of unsuitable, we'll say unsuitable partner. Sure. uh, Who isn't the the mouth-breathing bro type of jerk. Yes, yes. how did you how did you react to that realization? Well, I sort of commiserated with other people that had, had similar experiences and kind of started to form, you know, the idea for the book, which is that this is, you know, this is the 
flip side to the like things I've learned from women who've dumped me kind of model of like, I didn't dump you. <laughs> you were terrible and then you disappeared. Um, and that I, it, it was a matter of saying, okay, this is like, you know, every generation's kind of acts differently than the one before them. So I think that, you know, this sort of like, you know, I say for like faux sensitive kind of guy was almost in reaction to that sort of strutting like a hairband type with like the, you know, almost like, like white snake kind of guy that was sort of more overtly into getting laid and, you know, like <laughs> whatever else people from white snake are into cars. Is that probably cars? Muscle cars blow. <laughs> so, uh, Yeah, I I think a lot of that was a reaction to it. And it also has to do with, like, a certain kind of strain of whether it's counterculture or, like, intellectualism that I think is sort of markedly anti-sexual, not just sort of misogynist, but the women in that world tend to be rather mousy and they they don't tend to write about sex or talk about sex. It's more about ideas. And um, I was always really interested in sex. So I kind of felt like... Oh, does that, you know, does that make me like, does that make me more like Miss Piggy or does that make me more like this kind of demonic fictional uh, character that, you know, fire breathing sort of sex in the city type that I, I felt like I was kind of being regarded as at a certain point. You write about the uh, the tyranny of, uh, and this isn't, this isn't your language, but you write about sort of the tyranny <laughs> of the Pam from the office model. Sure. As being the girl that guys in my world and guys that I've dated or, you know, at least write about um, are attracted to as this. Yeah. Pam from the office. Describe what, what are the what are the qualities of of that kind of. Well, um, I think uh, when that show first came out and, you know, I know now she's like married and it's like a different storyline. But um, when it first came out, I think that there was something about her. And obviously Jenna Fisher, who plays her, is beautiful, beautiful. Um, actress, but I think that they, you know, made her intentionally look a little mousy and understated and, um, you know, like hair that she didn't quite know how to do and that she was in a job that she didn't quite like. Um, and I, I, I found that more and more of these guys that I'd met had this crush on her in a way that I think that she wasn't intimidating in this traditionally feminine way, which is to say that, oh, she would be like me if I were a girl. And that's sort of what I want. Um, in a way that is different from the the original British version with Dawn, who was, you know, I I think she was super fat. She, you know, she had that like sort of extra. She was like that English Rose kind of character, which is, um, you know, like that five extra pounds of weight that's allowed on you in England that just goes right to your breasts. <laughs> uh, and she had that. I mean, she had a sexuality you could see from across the room. But Pam, I think, was the American version of that sort of understated. Um, mousy kind of crush object that I, I find as like the the model of at least like that you know modern femininity which is to say not it's the opposite of miss piggy hey it's me jesse did you know that this year is the sound of young america's 10th anniversary for 10 years we've been skimming the sweet cream off the top of culture and sharing it with you help us celebrate by becoming a supporter of maximumfun.org during our maximum fun drive May 13th through 28th. We'll see you then. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by the Calgary Folk Festival, four days of musical concerts and collaborations in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. 
68 artists perform in an urban park July 22nd through 25th, including the Avett Brothers, St. Vincent, Michael Franti, and Roberta Flack. More information online at calgaryfolkfest.com. By Humber College, offering a two-year program dedicated to comedy. Students learn stand-up, improv, acting, and writing skills and perform in the heart of Toronto. At Humber, we make funny people funnier. More information at humbercomedy.com. And by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered. Online at ask.metafilter.com. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Julie Klausner, is a comedy writer. Her new book about her misadventures in the dating world is called I Don't Care About Your Band. This kind of model of masculinity that you write about in the book is one that probably has had its biggest pop cultural impact in the world of comedy. Um, you know, it's the it's the model of like, uh, you know, Seth Rogen or, you know, the Judd Apatow films, this guy who's um, the man child kind of yeah and and who who essentially manages to get over by um uh and i'm not against these films but manages to get over with a combination of kind of uh extra strong male-to-male relationships and being funny oh absolutely and i think that that's you know, I, I don't even think that that's as much like a... I think that those movies don't create that. I think those movies reflect that. I think that's very much something that is that people respond to because it's very true to life. And I think that bromances are a lot easier to achieve in many cases. Do you think that that sort of cultural idea is stronger in the world of comedy? Do you think that part of your experience of that has been because you you work in comedy? I mean, I'm sure, and, and it's definitely where I come from. If I was a female musician, I, you know, may be able to shed a different kind of light on it. Um, although I have heard from women who are in different worlds who really connect with it. I certainly think that it's an issue with um, creative women and, um, you know, just certainly coming from, like, you know, publishing, too. I mean, I think that it's tough to be... Uh, somebody that has or, or even finance like my god those those women have their work set for them any anything that's sort of you know dominated by men although there there are different kinds of guys in finance it it definitely changed my experience absolutely and as far as like trends and comedy it, it's definitely gotten more um you know more attention in the last like five to ten years but I'm also coming from that in the way that, like, I'm in the ranks. I'm not, you know, I'm not an outsider. I'm not like a cultural critic with my notepad being like, I've noticed this trend. It's like I'm, you know, I'm working in the uh, in the midst of it. And I do very much consider myself a nerd, you know, just a nerd that, like, you know, has a, a special uh, discount at the Mac counter at Bloomingdale's <laughs> <laughs> because I know someone and it's worth every penny. How does working in a world that's uh, filled with this kind of dude um, uh, affect you uh, professionally? Well, I I just, I feel like the great thing about comedy is that it's so egalitarian and that what's funny rises and funny is funny and people who are, are great at doing what they do are, I mean, from my experience, like really always do get the acclaim that's coming to them. So but do you, I mean, do you think that for for example, you know, if you if you add up a, a, a stat that's often cited, if you add up the writers of all of the oh, yeah. late night talk shows, there's 
you know, about 50 dudes and about three women. Sure, it's definitely do tougher. Think, do you think that's reflective of, of that egalitarianism? To some extent, and it's also reflective of the hosts, you know? I mean, they're talking about people that are writing for male hosts. So that's always going to be a factor. Um, and then there's the question of, like, why aren't more women doing it? And, you know, or, like, you need a different kind of encouragement or maybe you need a little different, like, flexibility, the model of, like, you know, those staff jobs for late night shows are really, really, I mean, you can't do anything else. And if you want to maybe like have a baby one day, it, it, it is something that I think there are different reasons behind it. Um, you know, one of which has to do with the fact that all the hosts are male, except for Chelsea Handler. Tell me a little bit about um, what you think you learned over the course of this difficult 10 or 12 years between 18 and 30? (laughs) Um, The best thing I talk about in the book, and by the way, this is not a book that's like, here's what I learned and here are my (laughs) lessons and here are my life lessons and they should be your rules. Like it's not like that kind of memoirs. Um, But uh, the the big thing I really liked was that um, I start out the book by saying that I'm a big believer in the sketch comedy philosophy of what that sounds crazy okay i'll do it and i i love that that you know the whole like yes and kind of thing you like the idea of being the straight man in your own life absolutely absolutely someone's like hey you want to ride on this train maybe you'll end up in jersey city and maybe you won't and i'm like that sounds terrific you're crazy when does it board you know that was completely my um my my philosophy going into these you know experiences and i i own that like i'm very you know, I, I, I accept responsibility constantly, I think, over the book. But by the end of the book, I, I do talk about how good it feels to say no to things that are just going to be terrible and how being in your 30s really does give you the advantage of saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not quite positive that I know exactly who I am, but I definitely know who I'm not. And that is why I'm not going to go to this, like, you know, dinner party in Bushwick where it's going to be all, you know, uh, like homemade. Uh, they're really into, I don't know if you guys have this yet, but the artisanal cheese movement in Brooklyn right now <laughs> is, uh, it's, it's making me like, it's making me maybe like sympathize with terrorists a little bit. Like, I'm just like, you know what? You guys are right about that. Cause we really stink. There's a in very the, powerful oh, raw milk movement. Yeah, that's deeply right. tied in with the cheese thing. It's sort oh, of, really. I find myself wondering if, if it's in some way like corollary to the people who think that, uh, vaccinating your children will give yeah. them autism. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> vaccinate. But if you vaccinate them with raw milk you know who knows (laughs) that equals question mark in the algebra scale so (laughs) go ahead and do that jenny mccarthy playboy model jenny mccarthy has a theory about autism everybody what kind of um what's a decision that you think that you that you have made as a grown-up as a (laughs) 30-something that you might not have made it as a as a 20-something um I turned down a couple opportunities to be on like reality shows. That was, I felt really good. Part like in my twenties, I'd have been like, I just go and check it out. You know, you never know. And this one's like, no, it's not going to happen. But, um, I mean, definitely, yeah, definitely jobs that have been offered to me that I'm like, no, thanks. Or, you know, bits like every once in a while, I'll get a phone call for a bit and be like, Hey, do you want to show up in a bikini? I'm like, no, <laughs> you don't have to finish the sentence kind of thing. Um, so that's really nice to be able to sort of 
realize that your time is more valuable than your like philosophy of saying yes to life, which I'm so over. <laughs> oh God. It's like, I'm saying yes to life. Yeah. I'm out of bed. How much more do you want? You know? <laughs> All right, Oprah. <laughs> it seems like you, um, it, it seems like you really end the book in a much better place than you started. Yeah. Romantically as well. I, yeah, I've been, uh, with the same guy for a couple of years now and, uh, and he's great. Although I do remember I started writing the book before I had a boyfriend and I didn't want to like, I didn't have the, like I already had the ending before I met my boyfriend. So I, I wanted to make sure when I was writing it that it wasn't going to be that like happily, ever, like I didn't want anybody to want to punch me in the face when they were done reading. <laughs> so I didn't want it to be like the smug kind of ass like, Oh, but now everything's fine because guess what ladies, I have a boyfriend. Like I didn't want it to be like that because there's no, there's nothing worse than people like that. So um, that's very much not the point of the end of the book. But um, yeah, I, I definitely so much happier than I am when um, I was in my twenties. In general, that's sort of the point of this. If I could impart anybody with anything, is that I'm happier now than when I was twenty four. The worst twenty four. <laughs> oh. Is there any stupider time <laughs> in your life? I don't know. Maybe 24-year-olds are having more fun than I did. <laughs> well, Julie, thank you so much for taking my oh, time to be on the Sandy Young America. Thanks for having me. It was great meeting you. And your dog, Coco, who I, <laughs> who am I, of whom I'm very fond. <laughs> Julie Klausner's new book is I Don't Care About Your Band, What I Learned from Indie Rockers, Trust Funders, Pornographers, Felons, Faux-Sensitive Hipsters, and Other Guys I've Dated. Thank you, Julie. Thanks for having me. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our editor is Nick White. Our intern is Julia Smith. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, where you can download any of our shows absolutely 100% for free. You can also find this show and our other shows, like the comedy talk show Jordan Jesse Go for free, in iTunes. If you have thoughts about the show, you can always email me. My email address is jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at MaximumFun.org. That's jesse at MaximumFun.org. My only request is that you not correct my grammar. I guess that's about all that needs to be said. We'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI.